In your Bibles to Ephesians in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 for our communion devotion. Life has a way of making twists and turns. So oftentimes you talk to children and you ask them what they're going to be and it's a fireman, a doctor, and a soldier, and th those are the things they're going to grow up to be. And, and yet life just has a funny way, the twists and the turns and, and the direction that we start off in. The Bible says that man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. That We get started, but the Lord is the one that that is in control. And when we look back and we see those twists and we see the turns, we never could have ever imagined that we ended up where we ended up. I don't know how many people here thought when they were a little kid, I'm gonna live in Vegas. <laughs> I'm gonna live in the desert. <laughs> I'm gonna live in the desert of Henderson, Nevada. But we look back and yet we can see how God had a plan and how God moved and directed and that he works how many things? All things together for good. And every single one of us gathered together, the family here gathered together is gathered together by the hand of God working all things together for good. And what a blessing that is to be able to get to know each other here that God has placed and that God has drawn in the stories of, of how that happened. I think of the Apostle Paul and the story that he had in his life. I mean, he was a good Jewish boy. If ever there was a good Jewish boy, Paul was the good Jewish boy. Saul back then. And he lived in Tarsus, but Tarsus was, it's no mean city. It was a great city, mind you. But, but if you're a Jew, the city of cities is... Jerusalem. There is no other place. The temple of the living God was there in Jerusalem. And as a young boy, he, he desired the things of God to know God and to walk in them. He, he loved the word of God and to know the word of God. And you could only get so far in Tarsus and in the study of the word of God. When you pass the level of the rabbis that were local in that area and you wanted to really be educated, then the top rabbi in all of Jerusalem was Gamaliel. But that would mean that he would have to leave his home to go and to be raised in Jerusalem and study at the feet of Gamaliel. Tremendous sacrifice. I remember I lived next to an Olympic athlete when I was growing up uh, in, in Boston and in an apartment next to me. And I remember talking to her, she was a figure skater, and how she had to make the decision at 11 years old to leave home, to go to Colorado Springs, to train there, to try and make the Olympics. And, and the dedication, the commitment to to sacrifice your entire life, leave your family to pursue what, what was important to her. Saul left his family in Tarsus there and was raised now in Jerusalem underneath the feet of Gamaliel so that he could know God and he could know him at a, at a deeper 
an intimate level. Saul loved God, loved the word of God, was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest of uh, all. The, the, the Pharisees were the ones that saw the encroachment of the world into their faith and, and wanted none of the world in their faith. They wanted to worship God purely, totally, absolutely. They were the separatists. Keep, keep the culture and the world out and worship God totally with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and that was the heart behind the Pharisees. It, it moved away from that heart, but at its heart, that's what it was. And so they, they wanted the scriptures. They wanted to do exactly what God wanted them to do. They memorized the scriptures. They studied the scriptures. They tried to live by them as minutely as they possibly could in, under the law. The law was all that they had. God had given them the law as their approach to him, and they, they had no other approach to the true and the living God except that. And, and if the approach to God was through the law, then, then man, I am all in. And, and Saul went all in. I mean, all in. <laughs> and he was recognized as an outstanding disciple of Gamaliel. Zealous beyond his contemporaries, the zeal that, that he had. David was a man after God's heart, but Saul was a man that chased the word of God and pursued God. The rising star, Saul, Saul was incredibly intelligent. The scripture memory of the Pharisees, he, he becomes elected into the Sanhedrin. And so as a, a young rising star in Jerusalem, in Judaism, high priests know him, the priests know him. I mean, he, he is a force to be reckoned with. He is a young and up-and-comer and and everybody saw a future in him. When Stephen was stoned, the religious leaders and, and all, Saul was a part of all of that. Saul was a part of the opposition to Christianity that Judaism posed in that day. Saul believed that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Jesus was a danger to Israel and to their faith and to the status quo that they had with the Roman Empire. He was convinced of that and thought that it was a cancer. And there is no compromise with cancer. The only solution to cancer is a complete eradication of it because it will spread and as it spreads, it will suddenly get to the point where it is uncontainable. And so Saul, like a good surgeon, searched for every single cancer cell that he could possibly find to make sure that the worship of the true and the living God 
was not going to be compromised. He found every cell of Christianity that he could there in Jerusalem and, and was given the papers then to go to Damascus in Syria. There was a group of Christians that were there. And so he was going to go now and, and eradicate that and disrupt that. When on the road, suddenly, he met the risen Lord. And it's not just that he met the risen Lord. I think all of us have a moment in our life when we meet Jesus, when, when suddenly now we have an encounter with the Lord. But for Saul, it was personal. He was on a mission carrying papers to go and wipe out the Christians, those that are following Christ, and suddenly Christ is standing before him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he discovers who Christ is. And you remember that, that it's a blinding flash that takes away his eyesight. And, and he does end up getting to Damascus, but he has to be walked in blind. And for three days, he just sits in, in darkness with the illumination of what had happened and how Christ had laid out for him that that he was going to be used by the Lord to bring the gospel not to the Jews but to the Gentiles and that he would suffer many things. But I'm sure that all Saul could think about at that time was, what have I done? What have I done? And how could the Lord ever forgive me for what I've done? And then even if he could forgive me, how could he then even want to use me? And Saul surrenders all. He is all in. And to see this turnaround, this 180 degree, I mean, you're going to arrest Christians to now you want to preach Jesus. And the Christians didn't believe it. You're tricking us. You're just trying to infiltrate us. You're going to tell everybody where we are and how we're meeting, and then they're going to come in and wipe us out, and we're not trusting you. We know who you are. You arrested my brother and mother. That's who you are. And now you think I'm going to sit next to you in a church service? Tell you my address? Uh-uh. I may have been born at night. But it wasn't last night. <laughs> no, they, they were skeptical. 
they were skeptical of, of Paul. And for three years, three years, he just goes and sits in the desert. The Holy Spirit now hitting the Word of God. He had more, possibly, it's just my own personal opinion, but I, I possibly more scripture memorized than anybody has ever memorized in the world. But apart from the Holy Spirit, the, the Word of God to the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit for they're spiritually discerned. And, and when he gets saved and pow, the Holy Spirit now hits the Word of God that is inside of him, it is an explosion. An explosion. For three years, he, he just processes the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And he ends up back in his home, ministering, Tarsus. When suddenly he gets the call, some 13 years later, to Antioch, and to the church that's going on there, and Barnabas now comes says, hey, I need help with the believers over there. And are you willing to come over? And there is a hand extended to him to come and help. And he goes and, man, he's, he's now seeing the, the need for raising up and teaching the, the essentials of the faith to the church that is there in Antioch. And, and Antioch is growing and thriving, the Christian community there. And in a prayer service, they, they, they now suddenly discern the Spirit is telling them to separate unto me Paul and Barnabas and And send them on a missionary journey. And the church affirms that that's exactly what the Spirit is saying. And man, they head off on, on this adventure. The very thing that the Lord had told Paul, Saul, some 17 years earlier, that he's going to be used to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And while he was sent to the Gentiles, there's no doubt in my, in my mind that, that he wanted to minister to the Jews. He always wanted to minister to the Jews. Because he had sat in, in Judaism, he had sat in, in Phariseeism, and yet he missed Christ. <laughs> And when he would look back, he saw everybody else that had missed Christ after having met the risen Lord. And he wanted to go and wake them up and to shake each and every one of them and says, I know you're deceived. I was deceived too. I, 
man, I was in the midst of it. I was in the middle of that. And, and that burned in his heart the entire time. But the Lord said, no. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. But Lord, the Jews need me. And the Lord said, the Gentiles need you. I have work that only you can accomplish. Because you're going to be shipwrecked multiple times. You're going to be imprisoned and jailed and beaten. And I'm going to tell you right now, anybody else would have quit. But because you did so much over here, you're willing to suffer so much over here. And there's no one more qualified than you. Because the undertaking is going to be beyond anything that you can even imagine. The hardship, the discouragement, the loneliness, the opposition, the beatings, the persecution. The, the, the. So you go to the Gentiles. And I'll be with you every step of the way. And he goes. And they go and he lands starting this great missionary journey and, and certainly he's just going to preach the gospel and like Peter, 3,000 people are going to get saved and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, he gets sick. Eye problems, difficulty and hardship. And makes his first missionary journey back to Antioch. They send him back out a second time. And back out again a third time. And we see the incredible work that he does in, in planting the churches and, and the great difficulty and the great hardship that, that he endures. He's anxious after his third missionary journey to get back to Jerusalem, to get back to the, the temple. Because still, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies that was there. And he couldn't wait to make the feast. But as he is starting to make his journey back, prophets start rising up and telling him, bad things are waiting for you in Jerusalem. But he also knows that the Lord is leading him there. He has collected a, a great love offering for the, the struggling, impoverished church that is there in, in Jerusalem. And, and the Gentile churches that he planted have been generous. And they are in great need. And he is excited, but told at the same time that trouble waits. Agabus, the prophet, takes a belt and binds him. He says... He who owns this belt will be bound in Jerusalem. Paul's not looking for a fight. He comes, brings the gift, the love offering. He's there in the temple. And you remember that he gets arrested in the temple. And that there is this great uprising that, that now Paul 
is being accused of blaspheming God in the temple by bringing Gentiles in, which wasn't true at all. And, and you'll remember that, that sitting right up above the, the temple itself was the Antonio Fortress, and so the soldiers could look down into the Temple Mount. And, and when the tumult rose, the soldiers came in to keep the peace, and they lay hold of, <coughs> of Paul and arrest him to save his life because he was going to be beaten to death had they not interfered. And as he is walking up those steps, you'll remember of the Antonio Fortress, he, he turns and he sees all the Jews that are there. It's like a crusade stadium all set up for him. What he's always dreamt of his entire life is to have all of the Jews gathered together. And he says, hey, can I address them for one second? And he stops and he begins. My brothers, I, I'm a Jew just like you. I want to tell you my story. And begins to tell his story of how he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel, a Pharisee, and Zealous, and, and how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the minute that he mentioned Jesus, kapow, everything blew up in a riot. People are tearing their robes, throwing dirt in the air. And you couldn't have failed more miserably than he failed at that moment. You want to talk about a life dream, you know, life dream, making it to the big leagues, a big moment, and then you strike out completely, you completely, I mean, it's not like bomb. He utterly, completely, imagine you have something to say and the end result is a riot. A riot. That was not the picture he had in his head. Because you see, he had the perfect argument laid out. His own testimony. How can anybody argue with this testimony? And he understood them. He knew where they came from. He came from it. But you can't talk somebody into the kingdom of God. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. It's got to be a move of God. And God never told Saul, Paul, that he was going to be the evangelist to the Jews, to the Gentiles. But his heart ached for the Jews. He's arrested, brought to Caesarea for his own safekeeping. You remember that he's imprisoned there and he stays there for years under house arrest. Governors come and governors go. And finally, he has to appeal to Caesar in Rome. And off to Rome he goes. And he's under house arrest there in Rome. He's waiting for his trial. On what charges? They don't even have, they didn't even know what to charge him with. But he waits. And while he's waiting for his trial, he writes this letter that we have before us. 
one of the prison epistles, a series of letters that he writes there in prison in Rome waiting for his first trial. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians, the prison epistles. He will be let out. He will be set free. He'll do some traveling. You'll remember he writes 1 Timothy and Titus, and then he's arrested again a second time. And, and then he writes his final letter that we have, 2 Timothy. And then he's executed. His work is behind him at this point. He will be released. There will be a, a short period of time that that who will be out encouraging. We don't have any letters from him during that period other than First Timothy and Titus. Strengthening the pastors. Those are the pastoral epistles. First and Second Timothy and Titus. But as he sits in Rome, He writes this letter. No doubt he had reflection time to look at his life. And how did he end up in Rome? Going to stand before Caesar to defend himself for his very life. When all he ever wanted to do was just love God. From the time that he was a little boy, he just wanted to love God and just wanted to know God. Jesus says, if you seek me, what? You will find me. And you see, Paul, Saul, was seeking after the truth. And he found the truth. And he found Jesus Christ. Well, actually, he was arrested by Jesus Christ. Didn't actually find him. So, as he closes this letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians is just a great letter. Six chapters that we have. First three chapters are doctrinal in, in, in their import. And then the last three are applicational. The concretes, the, the, the exhortations that come. Both are important. You see, theology is really important because theology is knowing who God is. And right understanding of who we're worshiping is really important. To not have a wrong concept of, of God. That's the difference between pagans and Christians. They have a wrong concept of God. They're, they're zealous and passionate in what they worship. and It's just the wrong concept of who God is. And, and so, the Bible tells us to grow in spirit and truth, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so, Truth is so important. It's so important to know the nature of God and who God is. And so, 
first three chapters are really all about establishing that. And then the last three are all about how to live this Christian faith, how to, how to live out this life. And, and I love listening to Paul as Paul has been front line, battlefield, planting churches, building up pastors, spreading the gospel, leading evangelism throughout the world. I mean, this is a guy that has been beaten and arrested and shipwrecked and, and, and suffering. He just keeps on going. He just keeps on going. Does he ever get discouraged? Yeah, absolutely. Has he ever bombed? Yeah, multiple times. He goes to Athens and thinks, man, this is Harvard. If I can convert the, the, the Harvard University and the minds that are there at MIT and Harvard, man, they can change the world. The philosophers on Mars Hill, <laughs> they, they are the most influential thinkers in the world. And he presents his gospel to him and the, the false flat. It's, it's a monstrous failure. And you remember that, that he leaves Athens and heads down to, to Corinth now just wondering what in the world is going on and discouraged and alone. And yeah. So what would he have to say to us about living out our faith that he himself has discovered from the Lord and that he has put into practice and, and as he was so anointed of God, what, what will help us practically? And that's what he's talking about as we get into this final chapter and he's talked about husbands, he's talked to wives, he's talked to children, he's talked to employers, he's talked to employees, he's, he's gone through all the different segments giving his exhortations to that and, and now he comes to this general exhortation for everybody. And he says, and finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. The strength of our life is in the Lord. You see, he had operated in the strength of the Lord and he had operated in the strength of his own flesh. And he had seen the difference. And while he was a tour de force, just in and of himself. Uh, he had no power compared to the power of God. And that's what he learned. And that's hard for someone who's a very powerful person to learn that they're actually not powerful at all. Because of their natural giftings, their leadership, their strength, their intelligence, their charisma. He was all of that. He was a tour de force. And then he found out that he's nothing. Nothing. When he met the Lord. And is blinded and knocked down onto his face. You want to see power? There's power. All glory, all power, all honor are his. And he says, and, and now... We're connected to him who's all-powerful, the Lord. 
be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He would write to the Philippians, I can do what? All things through who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. That's what he had learned. So the question is this, what, what's the battle you're engaged in in your life right now? We're always going to be engaged in battles. We're always in battles. And here's what he says, that you can do all things through Christ. There is no battle in front of you that you can't be victorious. There is no battle. And sometimes we think this is too big a battle. I, this is never going to, I'm never going to, they're never going to. And, and we can just get to that place where, where we think that this will never change. With God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And he says, so, so look, don't ever, don't ever get into a, a victim mentality. You're not a victim. You're a child of God. You have Holy Spirit inside of you. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. And he will raise you up above every circumstance in your entire life. So don't feel sorry for yourself. Throw that right out the window. You're not a victim. Throw that out as well. You're a Christian. You're a beloved child of God. You are washed and cleansed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are redeemed and saved. You're on your way to heaven. You will spend eternity in the presence of God, worshiping him with angels. That's who you are. That's who you are. And you'll get bumps and bruises and you stand up, keep going. Be strong. Be strong. Be a Marine. <laughs> yeah. Be a Green Beret. Be a Ranger. Be strong. That's what he's saying. Be strong. You don't go into those outfits and go, well, I don't know if we can win or not. It's kind of hard. They're big and strong and fast and look at me. <sighs> and, and, and yet, he wants us to have that mentality as a Christian. Battle-born, that's a Christian. We're battle-born. We're born for this battle. We're born to get victory in this battle. So he says, you know, I'm, I love Tom Hanks. You know, he says, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> it's like he's coaching this women's team, and they start crying. He's like, there is no crying in baseball. <laughs> It's like, in Christianity, there's, there's no defeat. We go from glory to glory. We, he says, come on, guys, above everything else, let's go. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. None of this pity party stuff. And, you know, yeah, we're in a battle. That's what it is. Flesh and the spirit in a war. And we're meant to win the war. So come on, let's get going. And he's like this field general now, you know, like stand up everybody. What's already laying around for? Let's get this camp in shape here. Be strong. 
Be strong. Not in your own strength. Doesn't matter your own strength. Be strong in the Lord. And he's all powerful. So can, can we get that attitude uh, on? And then he says, and, and let's get ready for the battle. Wake up. Let's go. Be strong. Get dressed. What are you? You're not, no one even has their armor on. What's everybody doing? Laying around, camp complaining. <laughs> It's like, come on, you can do this. You're made for this. Let's go. First thing, get your armor on. Get your armor on. God's given us the, the armor. And he begins now to, to tell us why. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice that. Get your whole armor on. Reminds me, you know, you tell the kids when they're young, go get dressed. And they come back and, and you're like, I told you to get dressed. You're like, yeah, I'm dressed. I'm like, you don't have shoes on. You don't have socks on. You know, you put a shirt on. <laughs> you know, that's not dressed. You're not, you're not dressed until you're completely dressed. You don't have the armor of God until you got the whole armor of God on. Come on, you can't just put a piece of it and say I'm out on the battlefield. <laughs> I got a sword. <laughs> yeah, where's the rest? <laughs> Gonna run around on the battlefield just a sword? <laughs> Come on, get the whole armor of God on. Why? You're gonna need it out there. You're gonna need it. It's a battlefield. Let me tell you about the battlefield. I've been on the battlefield. And I've come through some firefights. And you're going to need the armor. The enemy. He has different names. Devil. That means accuser, because he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. Satan means adversary, because he's the enemy of God. And he's the enemy of everything that God loves. And the reason why he's your enemy is because God loves you. That's the only reason. It's the only reason. And he wants to hurt you because he can't hurt God. So he's going to hurt what God loves. And that's the way that he can hurt God. So you have an enemy. He's also called the tempter. The murderer. The liar. Have you sat up in your seats yet? Have you started to take notice of who we're contending with? This isn't a marshmallow team that we're going uh, up against uh, here. He's compared to a lion, a serpent, an angel of light. He's called the God of this age. This is who our battle is with. He's cunning. He's wily. You're going to have to fight hard. 
And you're going to have to be alert. And you're going to have to stick together. And you're going to have to work together. You're going to be in community together. And so, you don't go into this battle by yourself. But you're able to stand against the evil schemes, the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? What are the weapons? that the enemy is going to come against you with. Condemnation. Doubt. Fear. Insecurity. Evil thoughts and imaginations. Depression. Oppression. Temptation. He's going to come at you from every single different avenue that he possibly can. Those are the wiles. Those are the schemes. The battle's in the realm of the mind. That's your battleground. That's your field right there. And so he's going to attack the mind from every single different direction that he can. Paul tells us here in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Can't play out on the battlefield. You have to take the battle serious. And he lets us know. There's a titanic spiritual battle going on all around us between the angelic forces and the demonic forces and we're right in the middle of this gigantic clash that's going on. He says you have to be aware of that. You have to understand that all that's true isn't what meets the eye. And therefore, because you know this, because you understand this. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And every battle, there is offense and defense. There is the ability to attack formations that are designed to attack and to go and to conquer ground and to take down ground and to take down strongholds and to win battles, forward progress in our spiritual life. And then there is the necessity of knowing how to defend, to not surrender back what you have taken, to not fall back and not to be defeated. And so you have to learn to play defense uh, as well. You have to know when you're being attacked, and then you have to know when to attack. And it's a real battle. And every single one of us has that battle going on in their life. Between the flesh and the spirit. And who's gonna control you? Who's gonna control you? Is the flesh going to lead you? And are you going to be able to hold the flesh in captivity so that you're free to be led by the Spirit? 
Or is the flesh going to take you captive so that you want to be led by the spirit, but you're controlled by the flesh? And the flesh owns you. And the flesh is your boss. And the flesh will make you do its bidding. It's a battle. Every single one of us faces it. The Bible tells us that all temptation is common to man. We all fight the same battle. Different tactics of the enemy at different times with different weapons, but it's all the same battle. So Jesus told us that if you're going to be led by the Spirit, right, you have to crucify the flesh. So if the flesh is dead, it has no ability to control you, to keep you from following after the Spirit. Paul would write, that which I will to do, I do not do, and that which I will not to do, I find myself doing a wretched man that I am. Oh my gosh, this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh doesn't want to do anything that the Spirit wants to do. Anything the Spirit wants you to do, the, the flesh is going to stand up and go, I object. <laughs> and you have to say, shut up and sit down. You're not the boss of me. You see, before Christ, you were the boss of me. But I got a new boss now, and you're fired. <laughs> And it's not a one and done. Oh, I wish it was. I wish you could just crucify the flesh once and then it stays dead. This thing's like nine lives every day. It's like a cat. It's like back to life again, back to life again, back to life again. Go lock you away again. <laughs> and so, Paul is telling us that that we have to take up the whole armor to be able to stand against in the day. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and so truth. When you don't have truth, you're carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness, deceitful schemes. You have to be grounded in the truth. You have to know what the truth is. Today it's so interesting that there's my truth and your truth and his truth and her truth and what have they done? They've obscured truth. It's nothing new. Pilate said the same thing. What is truth? What, what is truth? You have to know what truth is. Jesus said, I am the way. What? The truth. The revelation of truth is right here in your hands. Here is truth. If you want to know what truth is, here it is. Right here. This is truth. So you have to know it. You want to know the word of God. To know it. 
to know it. Billy Graham was asked what his greatest regret was. And he said the greatest regret in his entire life is that he didn't know the Bible better. And I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> that was my reaction to that. I was, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> to know truth. You can't have too much truth in your life. Truth, truth protects you and rescues you and saves you and insulates you from everything. It, it's the beginning of everything. It's the truth. And to know what you're dealing with. And so Paul says, man, the first thing, truth, you have got to know the truth. It's everything in the fight. In the fight of your mind, knowing what's true and what isn't true, is everything. It starts there. And then, knowing the truth, what's next in the battle? He says, okay, condemnation. You need the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness that you have isn't your own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. The enemy is going to tell you that you're a piece of junk, and he's going to show you all of your sins and how God couldn't possibly love you because of your unrighteousness. And he's right. We're sinners. We look at the things he points out, and he's right. Except that it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that I now have. And so the minute that he starts to show you your unrighteousness, you have the righteousness of Christ that you're wearing, not your righteousness. And you stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. You have to know that. Because otherwise you're going to let the enemy just dunk you relentlessly <laughs> and let him do that. Because you are a sinner and he can show you clips of where you failed miserably. He's got a highlight reel and popcorn. <laughs> well, you say, yes, that's true. But I'm not accepted to God because of my righteousness. I'm acceptable because of Christ's righteousness. And so the condemnation goes away. The battlefield gets clearer. When you know the truth, then you're not going to fall for the condemnation of the enemy. Now I can start to get out of first gear. Now I can start to make some traction here if I'm battling in truth and I'm not going to be sidetracked by, by being dunked with condemnation. Now we can get going. And what are we going to get going? Okay. Now, if you're going to get going, you need, you need some boots. Soldier needs boots. Imagine being in Afghanistan with your pack and your gear and everything and barefoot. Man, you got to have boots. You got to have a good pair of boots. If you're going to make traction, you got to have boots. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says, what, what do we have? What are our boots now? If I'm, if I'm now dealing in truth, and if 
Also now, I've got my mind secured, the righteousness. Now I'm ready to share the truth about Jesus Christ with others. And above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one. All of those doubts and fears and anxiousness and thoughts and, and the temptations and the shield of faith, the depression, the oppression, the shield of faith. You see, when the enemy attacks, it's going to be that shield of faith against those fiery darts and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. The enemy is going to relentlessly try and tell you that you're not really saved. That you're not really saved. And you need to just put a helmet on you. It's just a helmet over your head. It's just... You're saved. And just don't even argue with the enemy on it. Just put your helmet on so that if he fires any little of those pains, just goes beep off your helmet. Not even entertaining it. Bible says take every single thought, what? Captive. Captive. Not even, you know what, just bing, just falls right off like a pebble off a helmet. It's going to protect your thinking. In the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So now when we want to make progress, man, it's the word of God. That's how you make progress forwards in your life. That's where sanctification happens in your life. It's the word of God now that starts to work in us and through us. <coughs> so we take territory. When Satan came against Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus just took out the sword and just whack, walked right through him. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And, and so we have everything that we need. And praying always. Praying when? Always. Right? If you're on the battlefield, you need communication with your commander. You lose communication with, the, with your commander. You're out on the battlefield. You're in big trouble. You don't know which way to go. You don't know whether you're supposed to go left, right, forwards, or back, or stay right where you are. Praying is that connection to the the Lord. If you're in a firefight, and we are every single day, that's what Paul's trying to tell us. You're in a firefight every single day. Communication is critical. Ask anybody who plays Fortnite. That's this video game that the kids play that they have microphones, they all talk to each other and they work together in squads. Okay, so I'll save that for the youth. (laughs) They'll love that. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for who? All for all the saints. For everybody. And so, that's the battle plan. Truth. Righteousness of Christ on me. Shield of faith. 
Go forwards with the good news. Take the word of God to fall back with. It's the sword of the spirit. Pray. Always. Stay in connection. Always. Stay in community. And let's win. And that's what Paul says at the end of his life to the church in Ephesus. I want to invite the ushers to come up and bring forward the communion elements. We're going to take communion. And, and as we think about that battle and the battle that belongs to the Lord, we think about the righteousness of Christ that we wear. That righteousness of Christ, that robe of righteousness that was given to us is a costly robe of righteousness that we wear. The breastplate, the robe, covers over us. And, and what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is how we get his righteousness, is that all of our sins have been washed away. And that was done at the cross. And that was the victory that Christ had. And Christ had to overcome his flesh there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And let's go ahead and pass the elements out. And, and, and that was the victory that he won. And there on the cross, Totalistai, paid in full. It is finished. And he battled all the way into victory. And now he says, come, follow after me. And as he was victorious, so also we are invited into his victory. But he said, I want you to know above everything else that I'm waiting for you at the finish line with my arms wide open. That I love you more than you will ever even know. And I want you to stop often and remember how much I love you. And I'm going to demonstrate my love, not just lip service, but in action. I'm going to demonstrate how much I love you. I'm going to lay down my life so that you can have eternal life. And he says, and I want you to just stop and know how precious your salvation is. The gift, freely given, freely given, freely received, but priceless, beyond measure. What does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and loses what? His soul. What's more priceless than eternal salvation with God? But it wasn't cheap. Just because it's free doesn't mean that it was inexpensive. It wasn't a, a tag-along. It is the most precious thing there is in the universe is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He says, I miss you. I long to be with you. I long for the time that you are going to be connected to me eternally in your new body. 
that you're not going to have sorrow or suffering or disappointment. That the enemy isn't going to be battling you and oppressing you and condemning you. But you're going to be totally free to just enjoy me. But until then, stop, pause. Know how much I love you. Be refreshed. Be encouraged. Be ready to get back out on the battlefield again. And so as we come to the communion table, I want to invite everybody to just get their hearts into a place of rightness with the Lord. To take and to make sure that we're in the faith to make sure that that we're not holding on to sin that he is truly Lord of our life and to just adore him right now in your heart just tell him how much you love him. Just tell him how much you long to spend eternity with him. Tell him how amazing it's going to be when he welcomes you into his kingdom. He says, if you'll profess me before men, I'll profess you before my heavenly father. And I go to my father's house to prepare mansion that where I am you may be also and as they were eating Jesus took bread blessed and broke it gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body Let's partake of the body of Christ. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. And gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup. And let's pray. Father, what can we say? We're humbled by your glory, by your beauty, by your goodness, by your grace, by your love. Jesus, thank you for being commander of the army of God. And Lord, help us to be victorious now. Help us to be strong in the power of your might. And help us to be victorious over the flesh, to be free in the spirit. 
Lord, help us to love you and to love one another. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.